Well, good morning. Welcome to First Baptist Church. We are so glad that you have come to join us this morning. We know that many of you were out late last night uh, enjoying the last remnants of Oktoberfest, and we are glad that you have made your way in here this morning to celebrate Jesus uh, with us here at First Baptist Church. The question has been asked this morning, uh, where are the lederhosen, Dr. Myers? And they are in my closet, because while I have the courage to go walk around Oktoberfest in said outfit, I don't yet have the courage to bring them in here to the church, but that may come. Actually, next year, you know what I think we should do? I'm just going to throw this out there because it's been in my mind and heart all morning. We spend all week of Oktoberfest doing all of these things, celebrating the German heritage that's inherent in our community, and that's great. I'm about that life. I love the Oktoberfest. I love walking around and seeing people enjoying all the food and the things, but I've, I've often thought... Um, why doesn't some church in the community play off of that and do a community worship service at the park in the middle of Seymour, Indiana at the end of Oktoberfest and celebrate our Christian heritage that we have here in this community? And so maybe next year our worship service won't be here at First Baptist Church, but we'll be out in the middle of Seymour, Indiana celebrating Jesus in the same way that we celebrate our Germanness. Uh, so that's probably coming. Just be ready. Uh, that's... Hopefully you'll show up for that. Um, but anyways, let's go to the Lord in prayer as we turn our attention to his word this morning. Father God, we thank you so much for your goodness and your grace to us. And Lord, we know that there are a great many things that, that we use to define us, a great many things that, that, that are a piece of who we are and, and how we've grown up and how we believe and how we think. But Lord, nothing should be more important to us than the truth of your word and the reality of Christ in us, the hope of glory. The, the, the truth of your indwelling Holy Spirit and the power and presence that, that you manifest in and through us to make a difference in this world and in this community. So God, as we come to the end of, of Jude this morning, and as we uh, turn our attention to your word, Lord, I pray that you would just open our eyes and our ears. And Lord, more than that, that you would open our hearts, that your, your word may dig deep into our, our ethos of who we are, into our very spirits, and might affect the way that we live our lives that we might live for your glory and for the good of the world that you came to save in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this morning as we come to the, the close of Jude, it's a very short book, but Jude has spent a great deal of time um, talking about, well, who do we listen to? You know, we, a lot of times when people do sermon series on Jude, it's, it's focused on fighting for the faith. And, and that's, that's great, that's good and fine, that's a popular thing in our ethos. We like pushing back against things, and there's a part of that, but Jude's primary concern is not the fight, but the, the foundation from which the fighting is coming. What are we fighting for? What is informing why and how we are fighting? And Jude is really trying to bring the attention of, of Christians, specifically Judean Christians, and us this morning, back to the truth of God's word and its centrality and authority for our lives. That's his point. Don't rebel against God, but instead fight to hold firm to the truth of God's word and to the life that he has called you to live. And Jude, as he comes to the end here, the, a great, we're going to talk about this in a moment, but a good portion of what Jude says is in the emphatic, which means that Jude is essentially yelling at us. He, he is begging us to hear him. 
Those things that are emphatic are, are, you know, exclamation point, right? In general, as we see these things in Scripture, they are often commands. And Jude is pleading with us, please, please hear what I'm saying. Do you hear me? Listen to my voice. Listen to what I'm saying. There are all kinds of voices calling for our attention, calling for our allegiance, calling to to entertain us, to to move us in different directions. It's it's exactly what I talked about. We We spend so much time and we draw thousands. Thousands of people for this entertainment opportunity in the community of, of Seymour, Indiana. Do we have the same devotion and dedication to the, the challenge of God's word for our lives? To, to the foundation and the fundamentals of faith. Those things that, that don't just give us the illusion of life, but those things that truly well up to life within us. That give us life, not just here, but for eternity. Not just for a moment on a Wednesday, Thursday, or a Friday, or Saturday night, but for every day and for all of eternity. And Jude wants these believers to focus on the foundational truths of the faith. The the really simple thing, and the the simple thing that Jude has been trying to communicate from the beginning, and now is going to re-communicate at the end, is the fundamental truth that Jesus is the Messiah. That he is the Lord and King to whom we owe our allegiance and whom we should seek to follow with all of our being. If you have a Bible, turn with me to Jude, verses 17 through 15, as we bring this series to a close. Jude, verses 17 through 15. And Jude says this. He says, but dear friends... Remember what the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ foretold. They said to you, in the last times, there will be scoffers who will follow their own ungodly desires. These are the people who divide you, who follow mere natural instincts and do not have the Spirit. But you, dear friends, by building yourselves up in the most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in God's love as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you to eternal life. Be merciful to those who doubt. Save others by snatching them from the fire. To others show mercy mixed with fear, hating even clothing stained by corrupted flesh. To him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord. Before all ages, now and forevermore. Amen. Jude's whole point that he is making throughout the entirety of this short, this book, this short book is, is uh, an admonition to hear the right voices. Make sure you are listening to the right voices. Again, here at the end, Jude Jude ends where he starts. He kind of lands the plane exactly where he took off, so to speak. In verses 17 through 18, mirror verses 3 to 5. Verses 17 through 18, mirror verses 3 to 5. He says, dear friends, essentially says, dear friends, remember the faith you were given. Remember if we look back and we go back to the beginning, he, he tells these people to, that he was urged to, to remind them to contend for the faith that was once for all entrusted to God's holy people. Right, right there at the beginning. And, and it's all a, a, 
an admonition to remember. He's encouraging them, remember and hold firm to this faith once delivered. Well, what's the faith once delivered? Again, it's the truth that Jesus was the Messiah. That salvation comes through no other name save the name of Jesus. That it is only through faith in the blood and the continued work of Jesus Christ that we find salvation and the security that we need in this life and the next. And he ends where he starts with the same encouragement. In verse 17, Jude challenges his readers specifically to to keep the teaching of the apostles in their mind. Dear friends, remember what the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ foretold. Now what's interesting for us to remember is that for his initial audience, at the time that Jude was, was, was written, the New Testament wasn't probably fully formed and put together and accepted in this form that we have it today. So when he tells these people, hey, remember what the apostles foretold? He is telling them, remember what you have actually heard with your ears. These people would have been eyewitnesses to the eyewitnesses of Jesus. And even at this early age, within a generation of Jesus, they are struggling to stand firm in the faith. For them, they were remembering what they were told from the apostles' own mouth. For us, we receive it from the written testimony found in the Gospels. But in both cases, the charge is the same. To focus on the fundamentals. Remember that which is foundational to the faith first. And the reality is that this shouldn't come as a shock. This is true in just about every arena in life, that focusing on the fundamentals is how you become exceptional. It's really interesting. I really, I was surprised when I learned this, uh, when I went to college and began doing collegiate basketball my freshman year. I expected for us to do this run and gun offense and, and to just be scrimmaging all the time because we were college players. All of us, I, I was probably the least of these, my brethren, but, but all of these college players were the best of the best of the best for their teams, right? So they knew the fundamentals. They'd been doing it since that they were in kindergarten, first grade. They knew how to dribble. They knew how to pass. They understood the various principles of the game. But you know what we did every practice? The fundamentals. We did these boring things. The same thing is true. Have you ever watched the NFL Combine? Now, you may not be an an NFL fan, and that's okay. I I like watching the games. But one time, being a casual football fan myself, I decided I wanted to watch the Combine because there were a couple of players from Notre Dame, which is my team of choice, that I wanted to watch and see how they produced. I wanted to see the same skills that I'd seen on the field during the game in this Combine thing because surely that's what this event was for, right? To, To showcase the skills. As a matter of fact, you can look online and read and it says that the purpose of the NFL Combine is to provide an opportunity for talent scouts to observe and evaluate the abilities of potential players in a standardized setting. Now let me tell you, if you haven't ever watched this event, do yourself a favor and don't. <laughs> it is the most boring television event I have ever observed in my life. And mind you, I did my master's degree online, so I've watched some pretty boring stuff. The whole event is just hours of basic drills. 
Here, let me give you a list of some of the events that they do that they televise for people to watch so they can see the talent of these players. The first is called Three Cone. This is a test of agility that involves a player running around three cones, as the name would suggest. They run in a straight line from one cone to another. Then they loop back around the second cone, and then a third, back to a third as quickly as possible. That's the thing. They just run around three cones. And people are like, ooh, ah, this is amazing. Look at their lateral speed. And I watched it, and I was like, the dude just ran around three cones. Another is called the 20-yard shuttle. The player starts at one cone, springs five yards forward as fast as possible, changes direction, then goes 10 yards back, then springs the five yards back to the initial cone. So essentially, he runs five yards forward, moves to the side a few feet, runs 10 yards backwards, and then runs another five yards forward. Not very exciting. The 20-yard shuttle. Then they do a vertical and a broad jump. Essentially, the person jumps as high as they can and as far as they can. Ooh, ah. Then according to their own website, the 40-yard dash has long been the most popular NFL combine drill among fans. You know what they do for the 40-yard dash? A guy runs as, in a straight line for 40 yards as fast as they can. That's the cherry on top of this event. This is the, the most interesting thing they do all, all, all day long is people running 40 yards, straight line, as fast as they can. Whew. That's boring. But you know what they do in practice? This stuff. Basic stuff. They focus on the fundamentals. And you know what? The teams that do the best are the teams that are most fundamentally sound. It's not always the teams that have the most exceptional athletes. It's the teams that focus on the basic things the best. That which is exceptional is born out of continuous attention to an application of those that will help us be successful in the everyday and ordinary of life. That one play, that's just a moment in the game. There are hundreds of other plays that will happen where all that is taking place is doing the mundane and the ordinary things well. The same thing is true in our own lives as we follow Christ. It's not about doing something exceptional. The, not the, and, and this isn't even... This isn't meant to, to say, oh, I'm exceptional at preaching. I often don't think I'm not, I am. But what I do up here on the stage is just a, an hour of my week. Now, granted, there's a whole lot of things that come into this. But we often look at the things that happen on this stage and we're like, oh, I wish I could do something exceptional for God. This is just an hour a week. There are how many other hours throughout the week that we have to live, we have to serve, that, that we have to represent Jesus Sure, this is important, and I don't mean to demean or trivialize it. But brothers and sisters, the real living, the real being, the body of Christ, is not what happens for one hour at 505 Community Drive, but what we do for the rest of the week as a result of what we've heard. 
It is the lives that we live in the mundane, the everyday ordinary, the running around the cones, if you will, of work, of school. And we have to be firm in our fundamentals and the foundational truths of Scripture if we are going to be able to successfully and continuously represent Jesus in those contexts. Jude is giving two reminders here. First is to remember the prophetic proclamation of, of, of these apostles about scoffers that were going to lead people astray. But he also is throughout this book reminding them of the proclamation of the gospel of the Messiah, King Jesus. To submit to Jesus as Lord and to remember that he is the promised Messiah. Jude says, hey, re remember, remember the apostles of the Lord Jesus Christ that they foretold. Well, what did they foretell? They, to they told you that in the last days, in the last times, there will be scoffers who will follow their own ungodly desires. Well, what does he mean by the last days? This is something that is, uh, I've talked about this, it's something that's been promoted to me since I was a child. And that, that we're living in the last days and this, this could, could be it right now. This could be the last day. You know what's interesting is if you look throughout scripture, we see the reality that from the very beginning of, of the gospel age, from the, just days after Christ ascended, right? Christ ascends and days later the Holy Spirit falls. And what is one of the first things that P Peter says? Well, he points to the prophet Joel and he says, Hey, the, the prophet Joel told us that in the last days, Peter believed he was living in the last days. That this was it. Well, what's the point then? Why, why are they talking about the last days? What, what does it mean as, they make, as, as Jude talks about this? Well, well first, the, the overarching theme is this, that every day could be the last day. Live accordingly. Every day could be the last day. Live accordingly. The truth is that in the last days was a popular figure of speech in the first century. And there were a few things that it could mean depending on the context. First, it often just referred to the days ahead. It was, it was the exact opposite of our popular phrase, well, back in my day... There was this sense of, well, in the days to come, rather than looking backwards at the, the idealism of what was, they looked forward to the difficulty and the idealism of what could be. There was this forward focus at the time. Sometimes it also referred to the, the days immediately before the second coming of Christ, which is generally what we think of. The intent, though, wasn't to speak of some far-off future but to encourage Christians to live every day as if that were the day that Christ would return. It's what, what Greek scholar Dr. Herb Bateman refers to as an already but not yet understanding. That, that we live like it now and then we're ready when it comes. But it really doesn't matter. Back in their day or here in ours, there will always be those who divide us from each other and Jesus, or that seek to. And we need to make sure that we are listening to the voices that don't draw us apart, but those voices that draw us together by drawing our attention to Jesus. That's his focus. Don't, don't, get, don't get caught up on all of these rebellious rabbit trails. 
Don't, don't get caught up in all of these people that are drawing you to, to join their little, their little posse, their little crowd, and, and to go their way or to go your own way, but instead continue to focus on Christ. Continue to, to focus on the word that God has given you that, that will draw you together, that will keep you together, that will establish you as his body. The truth is this, that every age has its haters. Every age has those that will deny the truth of Christ, the Messiah. And every age will have those that encourage us to live according to our own desires and passions. Our problems in this day are not different than those of every day. They're just more important to us, and they seem more exaggerated to us because they are our problems. The fact is that we've always been the minority, folks, throughout history. And any time we look in history where it seems like Christianity is the majority, it is a mirage. The Bible tells us clearly that, that God is always maintaining a remnant. We've got to make sure that we are focusing on those things that will draw us to Christ, that will help us to stand firm in our faith, to help us know what our faith actually is and should be, that we might follow God rather than our own hearts. We must be careful which voices we're listening to. Making sure that we don't elevate any voices above that of Christ and his word. That is the issue that Jude is warning about. Jude is warning about the problem that was so prolific in his day of messiahs popping up and people consistently inside the church looking to this person or that person that, oh, they are our only hope. They are the ones that will save us. Whether it be religious figures or political figures or, or, or groups or different ideologies, there will always be things that, that are drawing our attention away. But brothers and sisters, nothing should be put on the same level of Christ and his word. In any voice that we give more volume or more credence to than Jesus Christ, the living word, and his authoritative truth is a problem. Whether it's CNN or Fox News or some politician or some teacher or some mentor, we need to make sure that those voices we are listening to most are pointing us to the voice of God above all else. Jude says, in the last times there will be scoffers who will follow their own ungodly desires. These are the people who divide you who follow mere natural instincts and do not have the spirit. Jude has been talking back and forth uh, about the reality of spiritual warfare. Brothers and sisters, understand there is a battle for your soul. That there are things that we don't see. There are battles taking place around us and the reality that those same battles are often taking place within us as spiritual forces fight for our attention and attempt to divide our allegiance. This is the way that you win a war. You don't try to fight the whole force. You try to cut a piece of it off. You divide and conquer. And the enemy has gotten really good at dividing us by distracting us. By things that glitter. By things that seem good. By things that speak to our heart and to our passions. And sometimes the division is obvious. 
And Jude's talked about a few of those things. It's things like excessive greed, sexual immorality, clear, open rebellion against the truth of God's word, and the denial of Christ. Those things seem very obvious to us. But of equal concern, and Jude also points out these things, are subtle temptations. Grumbling, complaining, complaining against one another and and the leaders that God gives us. Constantly finding fault in others while refusing to deal with the fault in our own hearts and lives. So the question we must, must ask is this, will we submit to our own sinful desires and our natural instincts? Or will we sacrifice our will to follow the will of the Lord? Will we seek his kingdom come and his will done on earth as it is in heaven? Or will we seek to build our own castles and our own kingdoms, things that serve us and our priorities and desires? Now, as we move forward, I want you to understand something. That the verses 20 through 22, are, they, they break down in our English as if they are multiple sentences. But in the Greek text, verses 20 through 22 actually compose just two sentences. And both phrases continually, as I noted early, earlier, use the imperative. Meaning that Jude is issuing instructions to us. He is giving commands, and and, and he is pushing really hard for us to listen, hear, and follow what he is saying. First thing that he says is, essentially, work to strengthen your faith. Now, I want you to understand what I mean when I say your faith. It is not just you individually, but it is our faith. Yes, it is you and how you fit into the team, but it is us corporately as the body of Christ coming together. Build yourselves up in the faith. There is both a me and a we aspect to the faith that that Jude is presenting here in verse 20. The great movements of the Spirit of God to change the world always start on the individual level. Before we can truly take the gospel of Jesus to the world, it must take root in our own hearts and lives. You know, we spend a lot of time looking at the world around us. We look at the sins and the struggles that we see happening, and we look at the way the world is going, and we're like, God, you need to change the direction of those people out there. So often, though, what we need to do is look inward. We need to turn the critical eye inside. And rather than worrying about what God does with them out there, we need to worry about what God is doing with us in here. We want revival to happen. If we want to see change happen in the world, we need to open ourselves up for God to change our hearts and our lives first. That God might direct us where he'd want us to go and have us do what he wants us to do, even if it doesn't align with our expectations, our understandings, and our desires. Great movements of God start in the heart. We've got to hold tightly to Christ, adapting our patterns of living to what we see in his word, finding strength through his spirit in us. In Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 through 7, it says this, So then just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him. 
strengthened in in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. We need to make sure that we are rooted in and built up in Christ. There's also a we aspect to this, though. The antithesis to division is connection. And that only happens in the context of community. Christianity is a team endeavor. It is meant to be done together. We weren't meant to do it on our own. Each of us is only one part of the body of Christ. None of us can be the whole on our own. In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25, it tells us not to forsake the assembling together of ourselves. We often like to make that about church attendance, and I, I'll be honest, I'd love to do that. I, love, I would love if that's all it talked about, is making sure that we got hind ends in the seats. I would love for that to be what it's talking about, but that's of less importance. What he's talking about is of greater importance. It's not just about hind ends in the seat, but lives lived in the world. The church is not a building, nor is the church optional. We need to work to build connections with each other. And through those connections with one another, we have better connections with our God as well. We shouldn't just seek to go to church. We need to be the church together in all places at all times, not just here at 505 Community Drive. Jude's concern and the concern of New Testament writers was creating a community that supported, served, and pursued Christ together in a contrary world. If we're going to stand strong, it starts with us creating connections with one another, supporting one another, loving one another, holding one another's hands as we walk through the difficulty of life. Jude says, build yourselves up in the faith. And Jude says, pray in the Holy Spirit, again, an imperative. Now, this isn't a reference to, to a special spiritual gift. There's no indication in the languages that what Jude is talking about here is some kind of special spiritual utterance that is just given to a few people as a spiritual gift. Rather, what he's talking about is just prayer. That together, we are praying in the Spirit The quality of our connections with each other is contingent upon our connection and dependence upon the Holy Spirit. Defeating the spirits of division in and amongst us and and overcoming the distractions and the natural instincts of our own hearts only comes through the dependence that we have have on the power and presence of the Holy Spirit. Brothers and sisters, we can't defeat the world with their weapons. It's only through the influence of the Spirit of God that we overcome our own selfish impulses and humbly follow Christ. I struggle with this. Here Jude comes to the end and one of his his fundamental things is there's power in prayer. We say that. Do you believe there's power in prayer? Then why is prayer an afterthought for us? Why is prayer just a formality? Let's be honest with one another. Is it not often that the case? Let's be real with one another, can we? I mean, we, we struggle just to pray before meals. Right? Like that, and it's a formality. We do, well, I better pray. I've seen it happen. I've been at restaurants when people are like, oh, the pastor's here. I better pray today. First of all, when I'm sitting at McDonald's, I'm not watching you. 
I truly could care less what you are eating. Do your thing. And if you don't do it at home alone, then, then don't lie to me by doing it in front of me. You know what? I'll do the same thing. You may watch me sometimes when I'm out, and you may not see me bow my head to pray before I eat. You know why? Because I don't want prayer to just be a formality. I just don't want it to be a functional thing that we just, a hoop that we jump through. But so often in the modern church, that is what it's become. If we believe that there is power in prayer, it should be saturating everything that we do. It shouldn't just be something we do at the beginning and the end of a service. It shouldn't be just something we do before meals. It shouldn't just be something you do when, when things go horribly wrong. It should be something that saturates our everyday, ordinary lives. And you know what? So often we don't know how to do it. And you know why we don't know how to do it? Because we don't do it. Remember what I talked about at the beginning? Oh, running cones, running straight lines, jumping as high and as far as we can. Prayer oftentimes is the same thing. It is a discipline. They call it spiritual disciplines for a reason. Discipline indicates that it's not always easy. And it's something that we figure out and we get better at. Prayer needs to be a fundamental and a foundational thing that we do. If we want to see God, we need to seek God. And if we're going to seek God, we need to pray and we need to call out to his spirit that he might reveal himself to us in and through us. Pray in the Holy Spirit. He says, keep yourself in God's love. Jude started his letter, interestingly enough, in verse 1 by saying that we are kept for Jesus. And here in verse 21, he circles back again, encouraging believers to be confident and to rest in the unconditional love of God. In the push and pull of life, it is so easy to forget the most foundational of truth, isn't it? But I want to remind you of it today. Jesus loves you. God loves you. And he loves you so much that he sent Jesus to prove it. This is the foundation of our relationship with God. Not that we love God, but that he loves us. And that he loved us so much that he sent his son in the flesh to suffer and die for our sins. This is love. We don't deserve it. We can't earn it. We either humbly accept it or we rebelliously reject it. But the choice is ours. And Jude says, keep yourselves in God's love. Remember that God loves you and live like it. And Jude says, wait for the eternal mercy of God. Brothers and sisters, we cannot force the hand of God. Oh, I wish that I could. I actually had a conversation with Kurt about that this morning. I wish that I could pray and that God was just waiting to jump when I asked. But that's not the way that it works. It's never been that way. Ours is to trust, obey, and wait. And so much of our task as followers of Jesus is not found in the going and the doing, but in the waiting, in the hoping, in the trusting. In the late 1980s, Heinz Ketchup had a commercial. And the tagline for the commercial was, the best things come to those who wait. Over time, Heinz came to understand what we all know and all know to be true, though, didn't they? That waiting stinks. Which is why you no longer buy 
glass bottles of Heinz ketchup that you turn upside down and just wait and have to hold at the right angle and your tongue just right so it comes out in the appropriate time because waiting stinks. No one wants to wait. You know what's way better? Getting one of those squeeze bottles and just going... Or even better yet, if you were at Oktoberfest and and you went to that Palms Freaks place, they gave you ketchup and you just open the thing. You don't have to squeeze it out of the thing. You open it and it's readily available right now because Heinz came to understand that their commercial, while true, was too difficult for us as Americans. We don't want to wait for anything. We want immediate and complete gratification, whether it's out in the world or in here in the church. And so often, we try to do with our lives what Heinz did with their ketchup. And we try to force God to move according to our time and in our way. But brothers and sisters, ours is not to determine the when and the how, but to wait for God to work when and how he desires. According to will, his will. Do we trust in the promise of God? Do we believe that God will come through in his time and his way. And ours is to wait and to pray and to work on ourselves in the meantime that we might make a difference in the world. Christ is coming back. Are we waiting with eager anticipations or are we trying to force God's hand or to find another way? But it's not just about how we focus on ourselves. Jude doesn't just say, hey, focus that critical eye on the inside. Jude says to to focus outwards and to focus our grace into the community, to those around us and to those in the world. And he tells us to show grace to those who are struggling to find faith. Jude says, show mercy to those who know Christ as Savior but are struggling to stand firm. Jude says in verse 22, be merciful to those who doubt. Again, the indication is that these people have believed. But due to surrounding circumstances of our issues in their own lives, they are struggling to hold on to their faith. They're struggling to stay on the straight and narrow. And Jude says, hey, when you see these people are struggling, when you see these people that are are stumbling and, and maybe going astray, show them mercy. Show them grace. Mercy should be a defining feature of how Christians deal with each other and the world at large. Is it, though? Is that what we're known for as the church? Are we known for being merciful? Are we known for being compassionate and gracious? I I can see even through the responses of several of you in the crowd that, that the reality is no. Oftentimes, that's not what we're known for. It's often said that it's only in the church that we shoot our wounded. Rather than being seen as a a hospital offering healing for the sick and hurting, which is what Christ said we were to be. We are seen as a courtroom. Rather than helping, we're often known for condemning. I've heard it said, you catch more flies with honey than vinegar. If we want to help people find their footing in Christ, we must, teach, we must treat them with the same grace that Christ demonstrated for us. We must offer the same mercy we ourselves hope to receive. We need to seek and save the lost from destruction rather than helping them find it. So he starts by talking about those that are in and outside and showing mercy. And then he says, seek and save the lost. 
Again, an imperative, right? He says, be merciful to those who doubt. We talked about that. Then he says, save others by snatching them out of the fire. I love that imagery. He says that those people that are falling and running headlong into hell, your job is to grab them and pull them out. I love that imagery. But I struggle with it. Because as soldiers for Christ, we often see our job as destroying the enemy. Rather than pulling people out of hell, we see our job as to help people get in there. We just better hurry them along. Kill them all and let God sort it out. This ought not be our mindset. The church is a rescue crew, not a combat unit. Allow me to say that one more time. The church was always intended to be a rescue crew, not a combat unit. We don't search and destroy. Rather, like Jesus, we seek and we save. It's not our job to destroy our enemies by driving them into the fires of hell that they and we rightly deserve. Rather, it is our job to do all that we can to snatch as many as we can from the fires into which they're falling. It seems too gracious that grace is offensive. Mercy is offensive. You know, many people were very critical of Abraham Lincoln's handling of the close of the Civil War particularly the way that he dealt with those that were rebels and traitors. They thought that he was being too friendly and congenial with these enemies. They thought that he should destroy them, should execute as many as possible, destroy these enemies that Abraham Lincoln famously said. It's one of my favorite Lincoln quotes. Am I not destroying an enemy when I make him a friend? Is that not the way of Christ? Not to go and seek to destroy our enemies that are other or against us, but rather to sacrificially, selflessly serve them as friends, that they might join us, that we might, as Jude says, snatch them from the very fires of hell. It's the model of Jesus. Romans 5.8 tells us, but this is love. You see that just at the right time when we were powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners. Paul goes on to say, while we were enemies of God, Christ died for us. This is the way of Jesus. Jesus died that we might help others live and that we ourselves might live. We're to be snatching people out of the fires of hell, not pushing them in. You know what? There are some who will never believe, but we're still to show them mercy. Jude says, to others show mercy mixed with fear. Now that fear is not the fear for them, but fear in our own hearts. Why would we be fearful? Why would we have trepidation? And it's not fear that paralyzes, but it's trepidation. It's, it's, it's an awareness so that we don't get drawn astray. As we go out into the world and we try to bring people into the kingdom of God, the reality is that while we aren't to destroy them, there are those that will seek to destroy us. 
And we need to be aware. Thus, we need to be building ourselves up in the faith and praying in the Spirit so that we can continue to show grace and save as many as possible. Jude doesn't encourage us to ever abandon people to his faith, their faith. We still show grace. But we need to make sure that we don't fall under their influence. Modern adaptation of Jude's wording might be this. We often say, hate the sin, love the sinner. But we need to make sure as we are hating the activity of the person that we don't hate the person that is doing it. That our attitude towards the action doesn't give an impression of hating the person themselves. Be aware of and avoid the sin, but still offer compassionate mercy to all. And how do we do that? Well, Jude ends essentially in the same way that he began. Remember whose you are. We all belong to our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ if we claim to follow him. And it's only through his power and presence that we will be victorious and that we will see a world changed by his power and presence for his glory and for our good. And as we submit to his rule and reign and faithfully follow him, adapting our actions to match his example, we can know that he will keep us in his love. He will help us to stand strong through whatever the enemy throws at us. And he will complete the work he started, bringing us to salvation for our good and his glory. So we end the series with the words of Jude himself. To him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, be the glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ, our Lord, before all ages, now and forevermore. Amen. You want to know how to get to that stairway to heaven? By turning to the Savior who died to open it up to you. It's by continuing to look up and ever forward as we follow our Savior and our commander, Jesus Christ, being molded into his image and loving as he loved and trusting in the hope that he's provided through his life, his death, his resurrection, and the truth that he is coming soon to collect those that are his own. Father God, thank you so much for the truth of your word, the challenges that it presents to us, but the encouragements that are there as well. God, may we be reminded of the sacrifice of Jesus and the calling to live in the truth of who you are and what you have for us. May the model and the image of Jesus be clear to us this morning, even as we take communion. May we remember the shed blood and the broken body of Jesus and understand that we are called to similarly sacrifice ourselves for the world that you came to save. For your glory, for our good, through the power and presence of your spirit within us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. At this time, I'd like to invite the deacons to come forward as we prepare, prepare to take communion together. Here at First Baptist Church, we believe in what is called open communion. And what that means is that all are invited to this table. You need not be a member of First Baptist Church or any church for that matter to take communion with us. All that we ask is that you be a follower of Jesus Christ seeking to follow him with your own life. Seeking to allow him to live within you and to move 
and to move with power and grace to accomplish within you that which he hopes to accomplish. As we turn our, our eyes and our attention to the elements, let's pray and ask God to speak to us in this time. Father God, we thank you so much for your goodness and grace. We thank you for the sacrifice of Jesus, for the calling that you have placed upon each of our lives. Lord, may as we take this communion, may we be reminded of the connection that we have with one another through Christ. May your spirit saturate this place in our own hearts and lives, and may you draw us together by the bond of love that is in and through Jesus. And as we are reminded of our communion together, may we be reminded of the communion that, that we share because of your sacrifice and that your sacrifice is what we are called to. May your compassionate grace be made known to us in these moments. May they challenge us and encourage us in the ways that we need. In Jesus' name, amen.